Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another uh, episode of Three Plastic Surgeons and a Microphone. Uh, I am Sam Jurakar from Dallas, Texas. And as always, I'm joined by Dr. Sam Ree from Paramus, New Jersey. He's at Bergen Cosmetic. And also by Dr. Salvatore Pacella from La Jolla, California. He is at San Diego Plastic Surgeon. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Good morning. Well, today, rather than engage in small talk, I'm just going to jump straight into the meat of it. We're going to be talking about a very exciting topic, which is festoons and mailer bags. And most of our audience has no idea what I just said. Um, but basically, this is complicated lower eyelid surgery. Um, before we get into this, though, I'm going to read our usual disclaimer. This show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is for informational purposes only. Treatment and results may vary based upon the circumstances, situation, and medical judgment after appropriate discussion. Always seek the advice of your surgeon or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding medical care. And never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking advice because of something you see in this show. So uh, Dr. Pacella happens to be an international expert on eyelid surgery, so we're happy to let him lead this conversation today. So my first question to you, Sal, is what are festoons and mailer bags? Great question. So obviously very, very problematic issues in and around the eye. And many times these things are congenital, many times they're age-related. And the reason we're sort of doing a podcast on this is this is something we're seeing with increasing frequency in the press and uh, patients coming in and asking for it. And like anything, if there was an easy treatment for it, it wouldn't be so much of an issue. Um, the thing that makes these very difficult is there's no great treatment for this. And so, so what I've sort of put together here is a little bit of a discussion about this and kind of my approach to this and uh, modest success with it. Okay, so I'm gonna share my screen here. Okay, perfect. Okay, so, so the interesting thing about this part of the face, the anatomy, is this is a, a, a unique anatomic construct in our face. Okay, so if you see this gent here, he's got these sort of bags to his lower eyelid. We'll call those the lid or palpebral bags. And then the festoon or mailer bag. A festoon is sort of when the skin is a little bit looser. A mailer bag is when it's collected with a bunch of kind of swelling or edema. And, and in fact, I'm going to use those two terms interchangeably. Uh, some authors may disagree with me on that, but I, just for, for simplistic sake, we're going to kind of use those interchangeably. So the, if you look at on the left side here, this is a an anatomic drawing of the facial skeleton. And what I want to point out is this area right here, okay? So the mailer bag or festoon is a three-dimensional box, essentially, of ligaments and structure in the middle of the face. The top of the box is caused by a ligament caused or is made by a ligament called the or orbital malar ligament. And then the bottom of the box is caused by a ligament or is made by a ligament called the zygomatic cutaneous ligament. These ligaments go from all the way to the bone to all the way to the surface of the skin. So think about this like two shelves in a bookshelf, okay? And in that bookshelf is this area called the pre-zygomatic space. And so this is notoriously an area that doesn't drain very well, and it maintains fluid in the face. And that's truly what causes mailer bags. And I'm going to guess um, both of you guys are, are uh, big, big dudes when it comes to uh, soft tissue fillers. How many times do you have patients come in and say, hey, I, I hate this bag underneath my eye. I want some filler for this. All the time. Often. Yeah, very often. Right. 
And, and so the issue with injecting fillers and, you know, I, I would say that, you know, we see a lot of non, um, non-surgical providers doing fillers. Some are better than others. You know, we see a lot of nurse practitioners, PAs injecting fillers. And notoriously what I see sometimes, um, is that when filler gets injected into this prezygomatic space, it stays there. And that, festoon or mailer bag will actually look a lot worse afterwards. So big, big caution for our patients here. Injecting in and around this area can be very problematic if you get it in the right space. Comments on that, Jen? Jens? Absolutely. This is a very sensitive and tricky area to, to treat, and it does take experience to know where, what you're doing with it. Yeah. I mean, because I loved your analogy of the two bookshelves. If you inject in the wrong place, and you end up injecting so that it's trapped between those bookshelves, you can actually exacerbate the problem as opposed to improving it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen many patients come in who have wanted their filler dissolved when they were injected somewhere else, try to make this um, in an attempt to make this better. So I, I've, I've spoken on this topic quite a few uh, times, uh, both in the U.S. and out of country. And um, I did publish a few uh, discussions on this topic for mailer, uh, mailer edema, mounds, and festoons. So something I feel fairly comfortable. And the key here is surgical treatment is not perfect, but it really sometimes is the only real option when it comes to, um, to treating this effectively. And so I, I'm going to show you guys a little operative video here. So that the key here is, let, let's just go back to this here. So the key is when we are treating this area, we have to understand that that bookshelf goes all the way from the skin to the base of the bone. So you have to, as the surgeon, independently remove that ligament, both in the level above the bone and in the level underneath the skin. So this orbital malar ligament has to be taken down at the level of the bone, going all the way deeper to the midface and at the level of the skin. And, and what the viewers may not necessarily gather from this is just how challenging sometimes this dissection and this surgery is. Um, gents, thoughts on that? It sounds like that would cause a ton of post-operative swelling. I totally understand why, why you would need to do that, but how long do you tell your patients it's going to take for them for their swelling to go away? Sometimes six months. I mean, it is it is a huge, huge challenge. In fact, I, I have a patient um, I'm dealing with uh, that I've treated about three months ago, and we still have some residual swelling in place. And you know, but we know this ahead of time going in. So you, the key here is both the surgeon and the patient have to be committed to this operation. And do you do anything postoperatively in terms of steroid? injections or oral steroids to try to help it go away faster or you just sort of let time do its thing? Um, no, I, you sort of let time do its things. And, and, and that's an interesting concept here as to why the swelling persists for so long. So if you think about it, the way the anatomy of the face is, there are two major drainage channels that occur. There's one that's medially right near the nasolabial fold here and another one near the malar mound right here. And so those two anatomic channels that drain postoperative fluid are disrupted from all of the surgery. So it takes time for your body to drain this stuff, and it's going to be dependently drained into the face. And that pulls a tremendous amount of fluid in and around the eyelid. It pulls it in the midface and in the cheek. So it just takes a tremendous amount of time for this to go away. Much like, say, if you sprained your ankle, right? All of that 
swelling is dependent. It has to go back up towards your thigh and into your abdomen to get away from your body. Same sort of thing here. It's a dependent swelling that has to sort of find its way back to the veins of your face. So very challenging. Um, so let's kind of go into a little bit of the dissection here. So here is a dissection of doing, um, this is called a skin muscle flap here. So I'm going underneath the muscle and I'm dividing at the level of the musculature and about to divide this ligament. So this ligament is really deep, deep, deep into the face. And so here we are, and that's right now I'm dividing what's called the orbital malar ligament. So that's right at the level of the orbital rim. And you can see a nice layer of fat underneath here. Okay, So this is, this is the extent of the dissection superiorly. But we have to get this dissection even further down into the face, and that's what causes all the swelling. So here's an example here of this gentleman. Um, we've done a mailer bag slash festoon resection, um, doing that dual plane approach to the eyelid. Um, so you can see him before and after. Now, clearly not completely ablated, but certainly improved. And the key here is all of these patients that have these deformities sometimes, most of them have prominent eyes. And in fact, that's the reason why we're in this situation sometimes is the, if you think about this, the, the skin and the soft tissue hanging off of the orbital rim, because you've lost volume there, that by definition um, makes your eye very prominent. So this is him before and after. You know, I think we've got a really good treatment of this. Um, and it's not so done to the point where he looks unnatural, but it just looks like that, that festoon and that mailer bag is successfully treated. It's a really hard hard operation. I don't think viewers necessarily realize just how difficult this can be to fix. A couple, Just a couple more questions. One, so you're dividing the orbital malar ligament, both um, deep and superficial. Are you doing the same with the zygomatic, uh, zygomatico-cutaneous ligament as well? Yes, yes. And and are you doing that all through the eyelid? All, um, so it depends. If we go, there's really two approaches to go. One, you can go through the eyelid, um, what we call a transconjunctival approach, so inside the eyelid. The other is what we call a transcutaneous approach, so on top of the eyelid, just underneath the lash line. In general, the majority of time I do this, it's underneath the lash line. The reason being is in order to bring this tissue up very higher, we have to do it in such a way that we're going to reposition all this tissue. And you can't necessarily do that um, through the inside of the eyelid. So, so given that everything knows from a superior approach and there's so much swelling, what kind of steps are you taking postoperatively to support the eyelid position so that you don't get malposition of your lower eyelid afterwards? It looks like you've done either a acanthoplasty on this patient. Is that yes. accurate? Okay. Yeah. So, so almost routinely, I'll do a acanthoplasty versus a acanthopexy. So the difference between those two is removing a little bit of lower eyelid tissue in a acanthoplasty, whereas a acanthopexy means we're just putting a suture in to support it. And so um, the tightening of the lower eyelid is an absolutely 100% critical concept to this. You have to suspend that lower eyelid to the corner of the eye, the, what we call the lateral canthus to the bone, and you have to do it tightly. Otherwise that eyelid will pull down. I have a little saying in eyelid surgery, the lower eyelid only wants to go one place, that's down. And so you have to really pay attention to canthal fixation. There are a lot of surgeons out there that do 
fairly minimally invasive eyelid surgery that don't believe in canthal fixation. And, and I would caution them when you do an extensive mailer bag or festoon resection like this. Um, I will have to say when I first, okay, when I first started doing these, I did not incomplete, I incompletely cleared the ligament off the bone and I would get recurrence for my first couple of cases. I will say, even though I've done it, um, a craniofacial fellowship and I felt very comfortable doing lower lid fixations. Like that was really part and parcel of a lot of what we did. That's bread and butter, uh, craniofacial surgery, the Codner videos, the way he does his transcutaneous lower blefts were probably the best thing I ever watched and learned from in order to clear the ligaments, uh, both, um, under the skin and on top of the bone how to fixate that lower lid properly, not pull too hard and make it look pulled back, but to provide that support and still provide a natural eye shape. Like I have to say that were, those are still some, I would recommend for anyone, like those are some of the best videos out there that are public, publicly available under PRS that um, sort of help me figure out how to do this properly. And for a lot of these, I still have to do it transcutaneous just because I need that exposure in order to clear the ligaments properly. And if you look at this picture, you can see it's well done because the eyelid shape, it's not pulled back. He doesn't have a really narrow palpebra like opening on his eye. Like it looks very natural. If anything, it, it looks a little bit more naturally shaped, the lower eyelid than it did before. So that's the, that to me was so important to learn um, when I was, when I first started doing these. And, and who Dr. Rhee is referring to is, um, we, I think we mentioned in the podcast before Dr. Mark Codner, um, my very, very close friend and mentor who I did my fellowship in Atlanta with, um, who passed away tragically a couple of years ago, but just an absolute inspiration for this type of, uh, operation. I've collaborated with him professionally many times and a good friend he's, he's sorely missed. Um, well, let, let's kind of move on to another case here. So this is uh, another example of a very, very extensive mailer bag slash festoon combination. Um, as you can see in this gal also has quite a bit of upper eyelid swelling and brow, uh, upper eyelid skin and brow descent here. Um, so she had um, a direct brow lift, so a subcutaneous brow lift, in addition to an upper lid removal slash brephroplasty, and exactly that procedure of the festoon resection, malar bag resection that I described. Two divisions of the ligaments, the orbital malar ligament and the zygomatic cutaneous ligament, and an extensive subcutaneous or, or below the skin dissection. And as you can see here, she almost looks like a different person. Those those bags are completely gone. We have maintained the eye shape. And, you know, this is not without significant patient cost here, meaning cost from the standpoint of recovery. It took at least six months to get this swelling under control. And, you know, we it, it is absolutely an operation you cannot take lightly as a patient or a surgeon. You know, it's not it's not your it's not your grandmother's transcutaneous or trans uh, conjunctival blepharoplasty bag removal. So it's amazing. Uh -huh. I mean, that looks like her grandmother in the before picture. And then that, you know, like it doesn't even look, you're right. It's not even the same person. Yeah. That's, that's a fantastic result. That's a very hard to achieve uh, a result like that. 
Not a lot of people could get a result like that, actually. So only a few. <laughs> maybe Mark. Maybe Henry. Maybe Henry. Another example here. <laughs> so, so you can see this gal here. So um, now, um, with all with all disclosure here, uh, this gal had a complete facial rejuvenation: brow, upper lids, lower lids, festoon bags, facelift, fat transfer, and chin implant. Okay. And so the key here is focusing on those lower lids. So if you see here, um, you know, the facelift helped to support this quite a bit, which is fantastic. But just look at how, how smooth the skin is now compared to beforehand. Um, and, you know, getting that shape of that eyelid, I think, is really critical. That canthal suspension, canthal support is key. But you really have to dissect all the way down into, mid, into the mid sheet. This goes very well. Um, you get some economies of scale with healing when this is coupled with a deep plane facelift. Um, so um, if you look at her side view here, or the bleed view here, this chin implant really helps quite a bit with her facial. Proportion. Let me ask you yeah. this. How, did you do this all in one shot? And how long did that case take? And what was the I order? Did. And what was the order in which you did sure. the procedures? Um, so I will say that, you know, I early in my career was pretty hesitant to do all of this at once just because it would take a significant amount of time. Um, but I've, I think I've figured out a way to, to kind of do this rather efficiently. So I would say that if we were to do a full facial rejuvenation, brow, quad bleff, facelift, fat transfer, it probably takes me a good six and a half hours to do, six to six and a half. Um, the key is I start with the um, – I. Um, I start from top to bottom. So I will do the, the dissection of the brow. And again, I've, I've, uh, I think we've talked about this before. I've almost completely switched my practice from doing endoscopic brows to doing subcutaneous brow lifts. I think it's the longevity is so much better. Um, and so subcutaneous brow lift doesn't take a t tremendous amount of time. I do the initial dissection down to the orbital rim. Um, I then temporarily suspend the brow with staples. And that allows me to sort of set the brow position to prep for the blepharoplasty. Then I'll do the upper lids. Then I'll do the lower lids. And then I'll go open up that same incision and connect it to my facelift incision from the brow. And that way, at the end of the case, once I'm done with the, with the dissection of the facelift, I can support the brow position in the, the planned area that I did before. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I agree with you about subcutaneous paralysis as well. Well, just your improvement in her, in her wrinkles and her forehead is, is, is amazing. Yeah. Fun operation takes a tremendous amount of time, a lot of swelling, a uh, lot of patient encouragement, and they have to really be kind of engaged with the process. They gotta, they, this is not a quick fix that you're going to do before your son's wedding kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those are amazing results. Again, um, they're, they're, they're dramatic changes and they're dramatic preoperative photos as well. So not every, luckily not everyone needs this, but in cases like this, I know that now that I'm going to send them to Dr. Pacella. <laughs> Cause I don't know. I think I'd have a hard time dealing with six months of postoperative spelling and all the handholding that, that goes on with that. Oops. Lost my, well, lost my camera. Well, anything else you want to share with us, Dr. Pacella? That's it, my friend. All right. Well, as always, thanks to everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.